you know, there are national writers out there that have been doing a terrific job covering COVID-19, its effect on college football. We've shouted out many of those names. We've had a few of those names on here, and I don't want to start naming names because, you know, I'm going to leave out somebody that deserves a shout-out. But amongst the people that have really done a terrific job, not only covering the effect on Syracuse football, but college football in general, is, and I'm not just saying this because I work with the guy. I'm saying this because he's just doing a terrific job. And that is our friend Nate Mank from Syracuse.com. And in the latest of the series of kind of the broad scope of, of college football that Nate wrote, it focuses primarily on Syracuse football, but gives you a sense of just the difficulty college football will face. And I'm going to discuss this here in the monologue shortly, but Nate Mank will join us at 5 o'clock. And we're going to phrase it the way he wrote his article today, and that is what we know and what we don't about Syracuse football at this point, in this weird world of previewing Syracuse football, looking forward to training camp getting underway next week, but also the elephant in the room of, are we going to have college football? More NFL players opting out today. I'm seeing Adam Schefter just tweeting a couple minutes ago that Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Farley, who's a projected first-round pick, is the first college football player to opt out of the coming season. He will spend the year training for the NFL draft, has seen NFL players opt out, and is uncomfortable with playing football this year. He will certainly not be the last, but he is the first. So there's something in the breaking news category. Maybe we should play the breaking news music. There you go. He will not be the last. And I think players in his category, if you are going to be a projected first-round pick, if you're in the safe category of being an NFL draft pick, you might just say, you know what, it's not worth it to me. It's not worth it. It's gone from the discussion of should I play in a bowl game to should I play at all. So there's some breaking news for you there. We'll discuss that with Nate later in the show. Nate Solder. New York Giants offensive lineman, Dante Hightower of the New England Patriots, two of the more notable names that backed out, opted out, will not play in the National Football League this year. Now, that being said, as I have said on this program and will continue to strive to do, I'm not going to shill for you know one narrative or the other. I'm not going to come on this show like dopes out there like Clay Travis who call people Corona bros and and this is a serious thing we're dealing with here. This is a pandemic, okay? Like, you have to look at the facts. You cannot hot take this like we do in sports. But sports is trying to find its way through that, so we examine that, we look at that, and we try and give you... There's really... This is not a both-sides issue, but there are people that tend to kind of just skirt over certain facts with this thing. So... In an effort to stay balanced, I guess, for lack of a better term in this discussion, we tell you when things happen. That's notable, right? Am I a corona bro because I'm telling you that a projected first-round draft pick has opted out? That the Florida Marlins have had more positive cases today, as we will discuss with Jared Diamond? Right? And that doesn't make me a corona bro. That doesn't make me somebody on uh, tilted one side or the other. I'm telling you what's happening out there how people are trying to find their way through this. But here's the thing. 
here's the other side of this. This is going to be mostly a positive conversation. I got news for you. The bubble works. There are more sports happening, finding their way through this, than not at this point. Now, the big one, the the one that you put the thumb on the scale and it is going to weigh the most is the National Football League. As they sit and they wait and they buy as much time as they possibly can, having canceled the preseason yesterday. College football is right behind it. Look, we all know what this is about, okay? But you need context with this. We know it's about money, right? I mean... The powers that be in college football can tell you about the morale of it and that student-athletes want to play and and coaches want to do their thing. And that's all true, of course, that players want to play. But we know this is about the money, specifically the television money, and how entire athletic departments could fall in like a house of cards if they don't play college football this year. It shows you how fragile the model is and that something like this, as much as you think about contingencies and We've learned how fragile life is, certainly, specifically, and how this affects people physically. But we've also seen how a pandemic, we've also seen how COVID-19 can affect our everyday lives. Every single person is affected by this in this country, in the world. It's amazing how in six months, life has changed as we know it. We're not going back to normal per se before we're adjusting and trying to move forward as best as we can and sports is trying to do that 793 million dollars that is the number what is that number that is the number made last year by espn in ad sales on college football their nfl package generated 314 million they pay a billion dollars with a b yearly we're going to get that uh, john calipari clip back billion dollars for rights to monday night football and the playoffs in ad sales now there's other sources of revenue here that espn gets namely the outdated model of your cable subscription and the high rate they charge you for that but there's lots of ways espn makes money 793 million dollars that's what they made on ad sales alone on college football last year that is what is on the line the acc where we are per se right where syracuse is and in the league we care about the most but the power five just waiting for those big old checks from the television revenue but see you have to play football for these things to happen there is insurance there's contingencies there's you know Football will not cease to exist if they don't play this year, but they got to play this year in some capacity. They're already going to take a hit, but that's what this is all about. The bubble works. The NBA today announced, as a few insiders have put out there, but just to reiterate for those of you that have not heard, according to Shams Charnia, of Stadium, who is right up there with Woj when it comes to breaking news, NBA insider, somebody who's tapped into the workings of the league. Zero NBA players have tested positive for coronavirus out of 344 tested at the Orlando campus since the last results were announced on July 20th. Update today, zero. 
consecutive testing rounds where no new player has tested positive. Now, it should be duly noted, they haven't played any real games. They've played some exhibition games. But if they are in the bubble, they are testing, and the tests are coming up, zero positive cases. The National Hockey League. Oh, the glorious National Hockey League. Full slate of exhibition games today heading for Saturday. There is going to be 12 hours worth of hockey, wall-to-wall, on my television screens Saturday, Sunday, from August 1st to August 5th. It is basically March Madness. It is hockey on all day, and I'm going to pass out talking about this because... Oh, yeah. That's hot. That is, that is, Cannot wait for that. But sports are coming back. The NBA is going to have a full slate of games. We've been watching baseball and all along. The bubble works. I mentioned the stat yesterday. Over 4,000 tests in Phase 3 of training camp in the National Hockey League. Zero positive tests. The Premier Lacrosse League. We talked to our friend Rick Beardsley about this yesterday. TBT. The National Women's Soccer League, the NWSL, was actually the first professional sport to come back. They did it. The MLS, I don't think it's the MLS, right? It's MLS, Major League Soccer. Since they've been in that bubble, in a state where they set a record today for number of deaths related to COVID-19, and cases continue to surge in that state. That doesn't make me a corona bro. That makes me... Somebody citing facts. But in that state, in Orlando, in that bubble, MLS, zero. Zero positive tests. The bubble works. There are sports that weren't even in the bubble. The Premier League soccer, I mentioned Premier Lacrosse League, Premier Soccer, they made it through. Now, there's a difference between sports that had to start up, like Major League Baseball, and sports that are finishing or have some sort of fractured schedule as some of the ones we mentioned and and some others I didn't. WNBA's in the bubble. They're fine. The bubble works. Now, what could happen, The what threatens the bubble, of course, is just human behavior. Like Lou Williams going to a strip club, getting some wings. Okay, no, you're going to have to stay over there for 10 days, Lou. Hope the wings were worth it. I've had wings that are worth quarantining for 10 days. Trust me. I get it, Lou. I'm with you. But... It's going to be human stupidity that causes the bubble to break. Even in baseball, not in a bubble, as we'll talk about with Jared Diamond here shortly. The Marlins, they're still trying to really nail down what happened here, but it just goes to show you how fragile this thing is and how quickly this can spread. We're talking about 20 positive cases now. And remember, This is a situation where you can test positive now and be asymptomatic, show no signs whatsoever. There are people that will not show any signs of having this at all, but even those that get symptoms of this, it takes anywhere from two to seven days for that even to show up. So this Marlin story, they've been benched for a week. They're done till Sunday. There could be more added to that. It is noteworthy, though, that they're the only team... (laughs) where this is showing up right now. But baseball is different. They're traveling. They're doing all they can, the protocols and everything in place, but they're not in the bubble. The National Football League is underway in terms of training camp and kind of the 
different ways that they have to go about practice this week. That's going to be our top six list later in the show, top six training camp storylines. And all through, through all of that, college football was supposed to announce today the ACC was what their schedule is going to look like. Well, they kicked that can down the road a little bit more, and I don't blame them for doing that, by the way. So it's amazing how there is a model here. Human intelligence. Smartest minds in the world finding a way to get through this. Yet, see, what this is what really strikes me. Some of the smartest minds in this country, in this world, right, are where? Universities. Colleges. This is why we go to college. This is why you hear so many stories of, you know, grandmothers on their deathbed. Look at young people, 14, 15, 16 years old, and say, if you do one thing, go to college, get an education, right? We just, we've heard this story so many times through the years, how important an education is to a grandmother, to a mother, to a father, especially to, to maybe a grandmother, a, an aunt, an uncle, a mom, a dad, whoever the case may be, they didn't get that opportunity. And that's, it's, that's a, a, a big regret in their life. And they say, if anything, get an education, get a college degree, right? This whole system of why we go to college and the brightest minds in the world that are there to educate. And then there's me, who they let educate Syracuse University broadcast students for five weeks out of the year. I'm, I'm still pulling that scam. I don't know. They haven't kicked me out yet. But the brightest minds in the world are at these universities, yet what is the sport of all of these that is going to be the most complicated to bring back? It's college football because of the different structures of the different leagues, because of the intermixing of student-athletes with the student body, a bubble's not possible. I mean, it is. You really could pull it off here, but the message forever has been that they're not special. Student-athletes are just that. They are students. They are a part of the student body. We do not elevate them to a certain status, although that's completely unrealistic given $793 million in ad sales off college football and many other stats that I could cite here. So that reality is clashing here. College football cannot figure it out. And I'm not pointing fingers at them. I understand why they can't figure it out. This is complicated. As they look and as they see and as we see, as we've been watching, and you know we're only adding to the list here with the NBA and the National Hockey League coming back this week. The bubble works. Sports has found a way. Now, will that continue to be the case? Like I said, human error. The more Lou Williams stories we hear, the more people they let in the bubble, the more the system breaks down. There are protocols in place. You have to follow these protocols, as the Florida Marlins are finding out they're not in a bubble. But no matter what the situation is, like you don't follow the protocol, it all breaks down. So what's the latest with that? What's the threshold? How far can baseball go with this? Jared Diamond of the Wall Street Journal, our MLB insider, the Syracuse grad, hopefully have some answers to that when we come back. A lot of things happening. He's already posted a couple of things at Syracuse.com that you can read, and we're all taking this in at the same time. Let's bring him in, Nate Mink, who covers Syracuse football for Syracuse.com. Wow, Nate, things got uh, real interesting here in the last half hour or so. How are you, man? 
I'm, I'm doing good, Brad. I thought we were going to talk about, you know, Caleb Farley's decision to opt out of Virginia Tech season and uh, <laughs> and how that might be a uh, a signal for other draft-eligible juniors and seniors that have to make a similar decision. But no, the, the ACC conference, uh, as we anticipated, delivered a scheduling model for 2020. Now, uh, whether or not they get to play out that schedule is still an outstanding question here, but at least it's uh, something to digest and talk about in the interim. So the big thing is some road games are now home games and vice versa, and as noted, Notre Dame's on the slate. But just to give people out there listening who haven't heard, here's how it's going to work now. Syracuse will play Boston College, Duke, Georgia Tech, NC State, and Wake Forest at home. Syracuse will travel to Clemson, North Carolina, Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh. And, Nate, that's the thing that really grabs me from this reshuffled deck. That road schedule, wow. That's a bear right there. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame uh, returns a ton. They're going to be probably in contention for for the ACC championship, as as crazy as that still uh, sounds. You know, Louisville, obviously, we saw the the offensive talent that they have uh, stockpiled up there and uh, what they did to the Orange last year. You know, Pittsburgh uh, was fortunate to get a lot of their their draft eligible juniors to come back for, you know, one more year. So they look really, really good on, on defense and, uh, you know, Carolina and uh, Clemson probably have the two best quarterbacks in the ACC in, in Sam Howell and Trevor Lawrence. And, uh, you know, we all know what Clemson has been able to do for the last decade or so. So very, very formidable road conference uh, schedule there. And, um, you know, that's that's certainly the thing that jumps out to me about the schedule itself is is uh, woof. But you know, some some cool uh, road trips. You know, I don't know if we'll get. <laughs> it doesn't look like we're trending in the direction of of fans being able to go to these games. But you know, the experience of playing at Notre Dame and, and North Carolina are certainly two venues that uh, we have not experienced yet since Syracuse joined the ACC. Was this anticipated, Nate? Was uh, I? We had kind of heard the ACC maybe leaning this way, but you know, going into what we we had heard reports, uh, Brett McMurphy and some other college football insiders said, you know, maybe the ACC was going to kick this can down the road a little bit more. Uh, they went the other way and announced their model here, but this model itself, ten conference games, a fifteen-team division. There's no divisions this year in the ACC. It's a fifteen-team league, if you will, in the ACC. What we heard today, how much of that surprised you versus how much of that seemed to be a model they were putting together? Uh, I think the reports, you know, really for the last week or so, seemed to be pointing in the, in this direction. Um, it was really the question of whether how many conference games were they going to play? Were they going to go eight? Were they going to go nine? You know, were they going to go ten? Um, this this makes uh, sense for a number of reasons, not the least of which is, is number one, you you – the more conference games you are playing, the more you're able to make sure everyone is on the same page in terms of, you know, a uniform testing policy or whatever your baseline minimums are for making sure you're trying, you're making sure you're creating the most safe environment as possible. Um, you know, Notre Dame though, quite frankly, was, was another big factor in this, I think. And, you know, I don't know if I'm, I'm speaking out of turn here necessarily, but, you know, as a partial member, they were already going to play, six conference games this year with the ACC already. So um, they had to, they had to figure out a way how they were going to sort of appease 
Notre Dame, and, and Notre Dame was looking for obviously uh, quite a few more conference, or excuse me, uh, scheduling spots to fill up after the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten and, and some of those other leagues decided to go conference only. So um, this was really a, a, a pretty uh, good compromise, I think, from both Notre Dame standpoint and the ACC standpoint, and it also. You know, the, it ensures the shared TV revenue, which is also key for all 15 of those schools. But, but yeah, to answer your question, I, I think this is one model that certainly seemed to be gaining the most traction. So the fact that the president's officially signed off on it today um, isn't, as, isn't as surprising, even though, uh, you know, it's still sort of jarring to see, um, you know, actual football news come out with all, the so- all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, negativity and, and bad news that's been floating around with throughout the sporting world, you know, obviously for the last four months or so. As we look at it, Nate, what is the theory, and, and I'm sure they'll explain this more as we go, we'll see, now we don't have dates on this, they've just kind of reshuffled the deck and we'll get at a later date here the, the lineup and the dates of the schedule, but you know, for example, Louisville was supposed to come to the Carrier Dome that's no longer the case. Syracuse was supposed to go to Boston College. Now Boston College comes here. What, what's, the? I guess, the, the reasoning in moving games around? Is it a regional approach? What, what, what do you know about that as, as we learn about this here? That's a good question, Brent. I, I do not know the answer to that. I mean, certainly I think they, <laughs> they wanted to try to make this as, as regional as possible. Um, but at the same token, you know, you're, you're still going down to Clemson. <laughs> you're still going down to, to Chapel Hill. Um, you know, you have some Carolina schools in, in uh, Wake Forest and North Carolina State coming up to, to Syracuse. I mean, look, quite frankly, it, it was tough to, it was always going to be tough to, to make a true, uh, regional scheduling model in the ACC when your footprint stretches from Boston and upstate New York all the way down to Tallahassee and Miami. So, you know, that's just not, Practical, so I think they. I think they really just, quite frankly, started from scratch and and drew up a new model that uh, that was that you know they deemed fair. I, I really don't have a lot of insight into how they determined, you know, why Syracuse is, is going to play Clemson and Notre Dame uh, and Georgia Tech. Um, obviously, I think we always knew that they were always going to keep you know the Northeastern schools grouped together. You know, the Pitts, the BCs, and the Syracuse. That's certainly there. Um, and then you go out Midwest with Louisville and Notre Dame. That made sense to me. Um, it was just a question of how else you're going to really fill in your, your schedule when you have, you know, the Virginia schools were probably an option and you have the Carolina schools being an option. But it's quite frankly, it's just tough to get to 10 conference games uh, with your, your conference spread out as the ACC is. Nate Minks, our guest, Syracuse.com, reacting to the breaking news of the ACC's new 10-game conference model, plus one in a non-conference slate that has not been announced yet for Syracuse and the other ACC teams who will be there. And Nate, Syracuse was originally going to open you know, Dome 2.0, if you will, against Colgate on September 19th. That's no longer the case because the Patriot League won't play football this fall. Rutgers is off the table on the 12th. That's now the weekend thing start. So it's going to be interesting to see who the new opponent is for the opening of the Dome. And that's still the case. Syracuse wanted to be on the road the first two weeks to get ready for the opening of the Dome. So I guess it'll be fun to speculate who the new Dome opener will be against. Maybe Boston College, because that was supposed to be an early game anyway. And uh, things seem to be on track for the opening of the Dome from all we've heard to this point, correct? 
I have not heard different, Brent. Um, that said, I have not <laughs> I have not heard much of an update in almost two months. So um, just from the visual images I've seen, I think they have some of the the the. the um, they're preparing to get the roof put on there. I don't think they've actually started that process of putting the roof, the new roof over the top. But um, but yeah, I've, I have not heard any uh, anything that would suggest they're falling behind. Um, I think you know, if anything, this is going to buy them a little bit of more time because, like you said, they did hope to plan for a little bit of a uh, some extra leeway there on the front end. And I'm sure if push comes to shove, they can. Uh, make those um that request known as well that hey we don't maybe want to open up <laughs> the building on say september 11th or september 12th we'd prefer to to lock in on that september uh september uh, 19th or even september 26th if need be nate speaking of things we haven't heard about maybe no news is good news right but you know syracuse is in their pods testing seems to have gone as well as can be at this point we haven't heard syracuse announced with programs like rutgers michigan state uh, teams that have had to shut down workouts due to COVID-19 breakouts here. So what do we know about that, how this portion of camp is going, and if Syracuse is on track to open training camp as scheduled next week? Well, we haven't gotten any any sort of testing results from Syracuse. They've chosen not to not to release those publicly. So we don't know how many guys, if anyone, has tested positive, if they had positive tests. Um, who's been in quarantine or who's been isolated or how that really has, if it has disrupted the off season program. But right now, you know, I can tell you that they are in, there's still about 85 or so guys that are up here on campus. Uh, they have swelled their pod group now to really two main units uh, broken up into the offense, into the defense. And they're doing, they're doing their walkthrough schedule. You know, they're doing their walkthrough practices, um, no pads, no helmets. They are allowed to use the football um, they are allowed to be coached by the coaching staff. Um, those are those are permitted to proceed. What's interesting now with this scheduling news is camp was set to start uh, next Thursday, August 6th. And the reason that they were set to start on August 6th is you're permitted to start training camp 29 days before your first game. Well, we don't really know when Syracuse's first game is right now. So that camp date is now going to be moved um, and pushed back by, you know, just the, the basic math is going to say, you know, at least a week or so. Um, so whenever we get the, the, the week by week schedule out and we know this is when Syracuse's scheduled first, first game is, you know, you count back 29 days, that's when they'll start you know, bringing the full squad together for the traditional training camp that they do every August. Nate, appreciate your time and your insight. No things are busy, uh, busy following the, this breaking news. More coverage to come on, on Syracuse.com. More to come out on, on this. And uh, interesting to see everything happening uh, as it goes. Uh, you should read Nate's piece, by the way, still about what we know and what we don't know written before all this happened today because still a lot of information there applies. Nate, thanks so much. We'll talk again soon, my friend. Thanks, Brent. We know a little bit more.